I'm feeling like a champion. Welcome, Wildcat fans, to Hoops, the Daily Wildcat basketball podcast, brought to you by the sports desk at the Daily Wildcat. This weekly show will recap and analyze each week's UA basketball games and open a discussion on the court. I'm Ryan Wall, a sports reporter at the Daily Wildcat and your host for this podcast. Each week, we will discuss the highs and lows of that week's games, star players, and things happening around the sports world. I'll be joined today by recurring guest hosts, including Sean Fagan, Patrick Carr, and Jake Fagus. Jake and Sean joined me to talk about the women's basketball team. We talked about their Pac-12 tournament loss to UCLA. We broke down their game, their upcoming game against Stony Brook, and went over their tournament predictions. Patrick and I discussed the Pac-12 tournament results. We went over our, our predictions for the March Madness tournament. We discussed Sean Miller's future with the basketball team. We went over Ira Lee and Terrell Brown, uh, the news of them transferring and how it affects the future. And we took a look at Nico Mannion's surprising season with the Warriors. All right, we are back here. I am joined with Patrick Carr once again to talk about some uh, men's basketball, not just the Wildcats as their season has ended. We'll get into them a little later, but let's start it off and talk about some Pac-12 basketball. The Pac-12 tournament wrapped up last week in uh, Las Vegas, and they there were some big upsets. I mean, just to start off, I mean, what would you think of, you know, Oregon losing to Oregon State and then USC losing to Colorado. Those surprise you at all? What do you, what do you think, Patrick? Definitely surprised me. I mean, Oregon State obviously got hot at the right time in the Pac-12 and the rest of the teams really got to thank Oregon State for getting hot at the right time because if they don't win that conference, Pac-12 is a four-bid league. And a little tidbit, each, each game that the Pac-12 represents in the NCAA tournament adds up to about $1.2 million, and then the total gets split to the – 12 teams in the conference. So the teams that didn't make the tournament got to be very thankful for Oregon State too because just a little extra cash in all their pockets. But yeah, that Oregon State over Oregon win was definitely a shocker. I tweeted before, we talked about it about a week before the tournament too. I thought Oregon was going to win the Pac-12. They were the best performing team in that conference since they got their guys back in February. They've been scorching hot. And after that loss, you know, they are 11-3, and I believe now, with Will Richardson in the lineup. So I thought they were going to cruise through the Pac-12, but Oregon State got hot at the right time. And, you know, UCLA's got to be kicking themselves a little bit the way they choked that game. I think they blew a 16-point second-half lead. That's pretty bad uh, look for Mick Cronin. But, you know, you got to give props for props due and Sco Beeves. Yeah, and as you just said, pointed out with Oregon, as you picked them to win the Pac-12, I did too. I thought they were going to do very well in this tournament, and that just wasn't the case. They – they just didn't their their energy level just didn't look up to par and they just weren't hitting shots and they're a very good shooting team and when they're but when they're not hitting them I mean it's going to be hard for them to win I mean but yeah I mean the one that stood out to me obviously was Oregon State over Oregon they won by eleven points I mean Oregon was Oregon State the Beavers were finished were projected to finish twelfth in the Pac twelve before the year and now they're going into the NC double-A March Madness tournament this week as the 12 seed. So let's get into that a little bit. I mean, let's look at their the, the teams, the uh, Pac-12 teams. Well, in quick thing, the, uh, 
quick thing on Oregon State Wait. is they got to be super thankful to Arizona because Arizona's postseason ban didn't allow them to play in the tournament. And if they were going to be in the Pac-12 tournament, they would have been the five seed. No Arizona meant Oregon State bumped up to the five seed, ended up winning the thing. So maybe there's a little, you know, a little correlation there. Yeah, that's a good point because I was thinking, I mean, all those teams don't make the tournament. You know, if Arizona is there, Arizona would have made the tournament. I mean, as we saw UCLA somehow, we were just saying a little bit ago, they are their 11 seed and the champions of the Pac-12 or the 12 seed. So right, let's just stay on Oregon State real quick. And they're playing Tennessee, number five seed in the round of 64. How do you think they're going to match up? You think they could pull off another upset? I don't. I actually think the Pac-12 is going to have a rough first weekend in uh, March Madness here. But I think I disagree. All right. I'll, I'm excited I, to hear about it. Well, go ahead. No, give me, give me the Oregon State. I'll, I'll, I'll do my Tennessee after. You go Oregon State then. Yeah, I just – I think Tennessee is a more physical team. And I think Oregon State, what's going to happen similarly to Georgetown is – I don't know. I think they had a great run, and they're basically just going to be happy to be there. And that's the mentality. And it is. It's a great accomplishment for Oregon State, for Georgetown, for Georgia Tech, all winning their conference tournaments, you know, unexpectedly. And, yeah, I, I think I think Oregon State is going to be a little bit overmatched. But, I mean, you never know. These 12-5 matchups, they're all, in the past few years, have seemed like pick So, you, you think yeah. they could pull it out? That's what I'm with you on the Oregon State and Georgetown have the happy-to-be-here mentality. You know, they've got the trophy. They'll put the tournament trophies you know, in their case. And Tennessee, if you catch them on the right night, they look like a really good team. You know, Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer are just really good players. Rick Barnes has a history of not being able to beat uh, teams that are higher seeded than him in the tournament. But Oregon State's a less, lesser seed than Tennessee, and he's also kind of a walking Sweet 16 coach. So I think Tennessee is going to handle Oregon State perfectly fine. I think Oregon State's run ends here. They just got super hot for about four games, and that happens in March. That's what, that's the beauty of this month and this tournament. But I think uh, Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer are just both two players that are so so much better and so much more talented than anything Oregon State's got. So I think with that game, I think the Pac-12 will be 0-1 right there. Yeah, uh, I agree with that. And let's move on real quick to two more Pac-12 teams in the West region, USC – takes on the winner of uh, Wichita State Drake on Thursday in that play-in game in the first four. Um, I, I think USC is a big sleeper here as a number six seed. I mean, we see Colorado. They're a five seed. I think USC is better. I think Oregon's better. And I'll get, we'll get into Oregon in a few minutes. But, yeah, I think USC. I think, I think this is going to be Evan Mobley's time to shine. I think he's really – he's a star in the making, but I really think – he's going to make a really good case for that number one overall pick in next year's NBA draft. What do you think? Tough for the USC matchup. So because that first four games are pretty good one. They play the winner of the Drake Wichita game or Wichita state. And so if Drake beats Wichita state, I'm actually going to be picking Drake to beating, beating USC. They're getting their, wow. Leading, oh yeah. They're getting their, they're getting their leading scorer back in a uh, Shanquan Hemphill who's missed uh, the last nine, 10 games, I think it is. But before he got hurt, they were about 19-0, 20-0. They did lose their starting point guard, Roman Penn, who's good. But, you know, they they fought with VCU to the death in their uh, conference championship game. And I just think they're, they're a good team. And so if they go down against Wichita, this doesn't really matter because I think USC is going to beat Wichita. I watched Wichita State against Cincinnati and against Tulane, it was, I think, in the A-10 tournament. 
and they're just not very good. All three, Gilbert just kind of dribbles around like a madman out there who doesn't really have any control of the game. And Evan Mobley is going to be the best player on the floor without a doubt, and Wichita State has no size. So it is if Drake beats Wichita State, that's going to be an 11-6 upset I pick. If it goes the other way, I do think USC will get by Wichita State there with uh, – I mean, just the talent of Evan Mobley is unmatched, and he's probably going to be the second overall pick in the draft. So Wichita State will have a really hard time to contain him at all. Yeah, and right below them in the in the same bracket, um, Oregon, number seven, plays number 10 VCU. Good matchup. I mean, it's just crazy to think about Oregon. I mean, they had a, they had a, a, a bad tournament considering they lost to Oregon State. But, I mean, I, I've stuck by this from the beginning, um, from, like, about three months ago, the, basically the whole season, most of this year, I've stuck by that Oregon is the best team in the Pac-12. And I think just their best, I just think, is in the top five to seven in the whole tournament. I really do. I, I really believe that they can compete with Gonzaga. I, I really do. I, I think if they're playing at their best, if they're hitting their shots like they did in the second half against Arizona a few weeks ago, I, I think this team is is very is very scary in a, in a horrible matchup. I think they're gonna I think they're gonna blow VCU out in this game. Yeah, I've got I've got Oregon making noise this tournament. I think they're gonna not struggle with VCU at all. <coughs> Excuse me, but then I think they're I think they're gonna beat Iowa in the second round. Iowa seems like a little fraudulent two seed to me. They've got a, a star in Luca Garza, no doubt. John, Jordan Bohannon and. Uh, Joe, Joe Wieskamp, you know, they can really shoot. Joe Wieskamp's going to be a solid NBA player, but their defense is awful. And anytime they play a physical team, they just seem to be a little overmatched and they seem to not necessarily quit, but they seem a little razzled when they play a really physical team. And Dana Altman, you know, he, he lines Rubik's cubes. Thank you, John Rothstein. But he just is a really, yeah. he's a really schema, uh, schematic coach and he's going to know how to affect Garza and keep those shooters off the three point line. So I've got Oregon's. You know, handling VCU, I've got them beating uh, beating Iowa in the second round. Chris Duarte is going to be someone that Iowa cannot guard on the wing. They don't, have, they don't have anything that they that can stop Duarte on the wing. And then I've got uh, Oregon going to the Sweet 16 and potentially beating Kansas or maybe even USC. And I think I've got I've got Oregon in the lead eight for this tournament. And the thing, if, if they match up against Kansas, you know, if Kansas gets there, Kansas is going to have a tough road because they don't have one of their better players, Jalen Wilson. They won't have practice for a week with the, the whole COVID protocols going on. They'll have a tough, weird road. So I think Oregon, you'll see them in that second round against Iowa. And I, I think they'll win. And then Dane Altman will get them to the lead eight where they fall to Gonzaga. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I, I, I'm just never been – I know Luca Garza has the flashy moments. He puts up the stats. Um, but I just don't think he's made for, you know, a long tournament doing it night in and night out. I mean, not a lot of practices. I just don't think he's I don't think he's going to match up that well, because, I mean, I I think USC could beat Iowa, too. In fact, I mean, not just not just Oregon. But, yeah, I agree. Oregon, um, I think they even could go to the final four. That's how confident I am in that that basketball team. But let's move on to number five, Colorado. We talked about. A little bit ago, going up against number 12, Georgetown, a really good matchup. A lot of people I've been seeing have been picking the upset with Georgetown as they're coming off the Big East championship. I mean, but uh, I just think McKinley Wright is going to, as we saw, I mean, as we saw in that conference championship, I mean, McKinley Wright was great. They came up a little short, but 
I think when it matters, the senior is going to get it done. I, I think McKinley Wright is in the top two to three players in the Pac-12, if not the second one behind Duarte. 100% agree on that. Uh, I've got Colorado beating Georgetown. Georgetown is a super trendy 12-5 upset right now. I think it's just because they're hot and they got hot at the right time. It's one of those that we we're just talking about happy to be here moments. I, you know, I, they were eight and 12 going into the big East tournament. People are forgetting that they did win five in a row. It's very impressive, but they were a really bad team going into that tournament. And Colorado has maybe the most important factor for me. They've got a really good backcourt. That's really experienced, you know, McKinley Wright and Josiah Horn are both seniors. That's really important to me. So I think they beat Georgetown in the first round, but I think their run ends after that game when they play Florida State in the second round. Yeah, and let's move on to real quick. Uh, let's briefly talk about UCLA. They've just been trending. It's even surprising they made the tournament. They've been trending down for the last three weeks about. I mean, they've lost four straight games. I mean, and for a time, too, I thought that UCLA was uh, – for a time, I thought they were the, the second best team. I mean, they even were, had the best record for I think two weeks earlier in the season in the Pac-12. So, I mean, they lost to Colorado, Oregon, USC, and Oregon State in overtime. And, I mean, three of those teams are the three best teams in the conference. So, I mean, you never know. I mean, they could get hot too, and I wouldn't be surprised. But due to some injuries, they're they're not trending upwards here against Michigan State on Thursday. I've got Michigan State win, beating UCLA. I think this one – I mean, this is – it's going to be interesting because this is probably going to be the most viewed, highest rated first four game ever. Michigan State, UCLA are two of the biggest brands in college basketball, Blue Bloods, and we get them – we're lucky to get them on that Thursday night. But another thanks to John Ross team here, but it's January, February, Izzo, April, and we sleep in May. This is when – this is when Izzo steps up. His team's always – come about here in March they wouldn't even be in this tournament if they didn't beat three top 10 teams in, in the span of about two weeks and he got them playing at their peak at the right time just to be able to make it here and they've got Aaron Henry who's a really good experienced wing he can be, play a little point forward action and I think he's going to will their team to to victory here like he did against Michigan yeah and as you said we do sleep in March because we are because uh, the March Madness NCAA tournament has arrived. And let's just give our final four predictions right here. Um, who do you got uh, coming out of each region? And uh, what's your national championship prediction right now? Uh, I've got out of the West, pretty chalky. I've got Gonzaga beating Oregon in the Elite Eight to make it to the final four. Out of the East, I've got Alabama beating. Here's my upset pick. We might talk about it later, but I've got Alabama beating St. Bonaventure in the Elite Eight. That's my crazy one. Out of the Midwest, I've got Illinois beating the beating West Virginia in the Elite Eight to make it to the Final Four. And out of the South, I have Baylor beating Ohio State to make it to the Final Four. Which leaves my Final Four to Gonzaga, Alabama, Baylor, and Illinois. I've got Baylor beating Illinois in that Final Four matchup, which I've flip-flopped a little bit. I think those those that's team number two and three, best teams in the country right now. Baylor has the best backcourt in the country. And very experienced backcourt, Jared Butler's an absolute beast. Same with Davion Mitchell. And Illinois might just be the hottest team in the country right now with Io DeSumo. And Kofi Coburn is really starting to pick it up as well. And they're kind of getting a third score out of there with Andre Cabello. So they're super dangerous. I think that's going to be a fantastic Final Four game. But I have Baylor coming out of it because their defense, when they lock it in, they really lock it in. And these two teams played earlier in the year. And Baylor won by about 15. But that was four months ago. Who cares? And then the other matchup, I have Gonzaga beating Alabama. Fantastic job by Nate Oates getting Alabama here. Uh, 
Alabama's got a really good player in Herb Jones as a point forward, and Javon Quinley is also a pretty good point guard as well. But Gonzaga just feels like destiny this year. They've got three All-Americans, and in the top five, the, the position finalists, they had four players nominated for that. So Jalen Suggs, Andrew Nemhard, um, excuse me, Corey Kispert, and Drew Timmy are just, just – Really good players, probably top 20 players in the country. They've beaten everyone about, by about 20, beat Virginia by about 30, handled Iowa, Kansas already so far. They'll be in the national championship game, but I have Baylor beating them mostly just because of their defense. Gonzaga, their, their defense can get penetrated, and they don't have a rim protector. Where yeah. Baylor, Baylor early in the season, they had the number one defense in the country, and it kind of slacked a little bit the last month after their COVID break. But I've got Baylor come away with that one. I think it's going to be a really good ball game. Yeah, I mean, those are those are some good predictions. Uh, I'm not, I'm not actually not that high on Baylor. I think they're, um, I mean, I would say Michigan's the weakest one seed in this tournament, but yeah, um, yeah, Michigan. I would say, run. yeah, I did. I have them out early too. Uh, but I, I think Baylor is right behind them. Um, and just, I, I think they're good. I just don't think they're deep enough, and I don't know if they get. I think they have a pretty tough bracket here. Um, and I, I have some surprising picks, but I've been going back and forth. But I'm going to pick Gonzaga out of the West region. They've been the best uh, team that, thus far. But um, I, I've always questioned their competition they've played. I mean, they beat Iowa. They beat Virginia. They beat a few good teams. But I just feel like they've had a lot of easy matchups mixed in there. And I think they're – you know, no team has – since Indiana in 1976, there hasn't been a team to go undefeated and win the national championship. And I feel like Gonzaga just over always chokes in the tournament. And the team I think they're going to play is Alabama. I mean, as you said, Javier and Quirney, um, I think he, he won the MVP of the SEC tournament. And I think he's been one of the most exciting uh, players like in college basketball in the last few weeks. I mean, he just – like they just have a lot of good players. They got Herbert Jones. I mean, they just got a lot of guys who are like scrappy and they're when they're hot, they're a good shooting team. So I think they're gonna get the job done down, um, down to the South. I got, I got a surprising pick here. I'm not the biggest fan of this side of the bracket. So I went with a little sleeper here. I went with Texas tech, Mac McClung. Um, one of the most uh, exciting players in the country right now. And I really think they could – I mean, two years ago they were in the national championships. Uh, I think they're going to get back to the Final Four. I really do. Great coach, and uh, they have experience there. And then my last team in the Final Four, who I have to win it all, is the Oklahoma State Cowboys, led by the best basketball player in the country right now, Cade Cunningham. He's – a lot of guys, want you want to talk about – Luca Garza, you want to talk about all these other guys, but to me, there's nobody on Cade Cunningham's level right now. I mean, he had three, he had three straight um, three pointers to win the game in the conference tournament last week, and he's just been on fire. And I feel like he's on, a, he's been getting to a different level. And we don't even know if this is, we don't even know if this is the best he could get, like be. He could have another level he could get to. And I know freshmen normally sometimes they choke, but. I really think he's going to get the job done, and I think they're going to, I think they're going to beat uh, Gonzaga in the finals. I really do. Uh, my last question uh, before we move on to some Arizona basketball: Do you have any uh, double-digit seed, you know, moving, say, in the sweet to the Sweet Sixteen? 
I don't have any double digit seeds in Sweet 16. What I about only, like eight? What about like say yeah, so I've eight, got eight and a, up? I've got St. Bonaventure nine seed beating Michigan or beating LSU in the first round, which is a tough game, beating Michigan in the second round, and then beating Florida State in the Sweet 16 to make it to the Elite Eight. That's my maybe most out there pick. I only have one six seed winning a game this weekend, which is kind of rare. Uh, I just don't think any of them are really that good. And then Oregon as the seven seed making it to the Elite Eight might seem kind of out there. I just think they got really underseeded. I like the Oklahoma State title pick. I hate that they got seeded as a four seed, especially. Yeah, that's in- crazy. Especially in the yeah, especially in the Illinois bracket. I think the last month and a half they've been one of the top ten teams in the country. So I hate that they got seeded there because I would have had them going further than I do. Yeah, and and as and and I picked Oklahoma State, but don't sleep on the Illini. I mean, Illinois has been one has been probably the hottest team in college basketball. They're good. They're really they're, they're they're really good. They're really deep. I mean, they're experienced. They got some good young talent. They got it all. I mean, I, I, I picked them. I did a few brackets. I've picked them to win it all. But, I mean, you know, I it, I don't know. I If someone wins, I think they have the best chance to win if somebody wins besides Gonzaga. If we get that Illinois-Oklahoma State matchup, that's going to be the point guard matchup of the last decade between Ayo DeSumo and Cade Cunningham. My, my Lord. Yeah, he's been incredible. Um. Yeah, um, the team that I got, I got in one of my brackets, and a team that I think was underseeded is UNC. They're ranked eighth, and I think they got a decent bracket there. I mean, like I said, I think Balor could be vulnerable. And don't be – all I'm going to say is, last thing is, don't be shocked if North Carolina beats Balor in the second round. I can't, I like – I mean, Baylor's biggest weakness is def- defensive rebounding and UNC's biggest strength is offensive rebounding. So, it is a scary matchup. I think UNC's going to have enough trouble with Wisconsin that first round. I've, I picked UNC, but I think that game's going to be tougher than uh, the average fan thinks. Wisconsin is just experienced. They've been together for a while, and UNC is just so young. So, it kind of is two opposites meeting right there. Yeah, and, well, yeah, let's get into some Arizona news. Um over the last week, uh, four days ago, John Rothstein, uh, one of the best college basketball reporters, as you mentioned, uh, reported that Arizona and Sean Miller are currently walk- working on the idea that their marriage will continue through the 2021-2022 season and maybe beyond that. So that means, you know, a long-term contract could be in the works. Um, but, and, and I mean, yeah, he has one year left on his contract. People already think, Arizona could be a top 25 team next year as they got, as hopefully they got most of the roster coming back, maybe adding a few guys. I mean, so uh, you surprised with this? I'm not that shocked that they're going into it without a contract extension. I think it's the complete wrong decision, as I've mentioned before, but the more I've been reading and, you know, hearing how things are going to play out and how president Robin Zach's is he, he wanted to go into this without, having to put money on the table and that's kind of what he did I think I still think the move should have been give a really small two-year extension just to give the security for recruiting but it sounds like they're going to go into it without uh, an extension and they're also but they're also talking about a potential one and moving on forward and I, I mean Sean Miller knows extension or not his job's on the line this season he has to know that allegations came the was it the NOA the notice of allegations got released yeah. about a month ago a couple weeks ago and he actually came away kind of clean, which is good for him. 
And uh, a little better for Arizona. I think it's stupid that they're under the scrutiny right now anyways because the rules probably need to get changed in two years. That's beside the fact. Uh, I just, you know, they're going to have big expectations next year, and it's just going to be really hard for Sean Miller and this staff to recruit past next year or even the remainder of this class and whatever transfers come about without the security of another contract because no one, no recruit or transfer is going to think about coming here if they don't think their coach that they were committing to is going to be here. So I think, I still think the move should have been give a small con extension. And if he doesn't perform, it's an easy buyout. He's gone because extension or not, his job's on the line. And the boosters know that, the fans know that, and he knows that as well. Yeah. And as you said, I agree and disagree with your point. I agree with that. It is tough for recruits, you know, when they see that, they see uh, all the talk, one year left on his contract, nothing finalized yet. I do agree with that part, but the other part that I agree with Arizona and uh, Dave Hickey and R President Robbins, everyone involved, is you need to put pressure on them. You know, that's what I've been saying all along. Put pressure on Sean Miller next year. You might, you never know. You might mess around to get to the Final Four. So it's like maybe he needs pressure. Maybe he's too comfortable. Maybe like like so, yeah like. Maybe he's maybe similar to like someone. Maybe someone got too comfortable. Maybe so it, you know, like yeah. I just think pressure needs to be put put on him because he's did good. He did a good job, but he's not. He hasn't entered that great level yet in my mind, as I've been saying. He had he did he had Arizona at the top of the Pac-12, and then things kind of hit the fan with the whole DeAndre Ayton allegation situation, and they've middled out into that into the conference, which. Arizona was a blue blood at once and they were blue blood while he was here or well, I mean, he's still here, but during some of his prime years with back-to-back -back elite eight. So he's got to get them back. Uh, he's changing his recruiting strategy and his strategy of targeting one and dones only and kind of building a program rather than an NBA lottery here. And he's going after international prospects like Gonzaga does. So I do think he's changing his vision and changing his plan because he knows and notices that what he was doing before wasn't working. So that's a step into the right direction for the future, I think. Yeah, and I – yeah, I do think um, – yeah, hopefully it is a step in the right direction that they get something done. But let's let's move on a little bit and let's talk about uh, a few days ago, Ira Lee was announced that he's entering the transfer portal. He has one year of eligibility left, so he looks to maybe join a team, maybe find a little bit of a bigger role at a smaller school. We'll see. And then it came out actually yesterday that – Terrell Brown um, is entering the transfer portal too. He has one year of eligibility left. I predicted both of these guys to be gone um, off the team. I mean, yeah, same, same uh, we, yeah. I think all three of us had all, both these guys not around next year. Yeah, they just don't fit the team. There's no need to me to yeah. have to have a fifth year guy and a sixth year guy on this roster. I, mean, I am like shocked I said, that Terrell Brown's playing basketball. I thought he was going to be gone, but I thought he was just going to graduate and go on with life. But yeah, good for him. I hope he goes to a team, a tournament team that needs just a reliable scorer off the bench, and he can do well. Same with Ira Lee. You know, these guys didn't like like you were just about to say. They just don't fit the plan or next year's team at all. Like, it's fine. It, it makes you wonder that maybe Terrell Brown, I mean, I don't see a place for him in the NBA, but I mean, I guess he's just trying to ride it out and see what he can make of it. And I mean, I, I don't could play, so. yeah. he could play, could play overseas, but in the NBA, he, he's not athletic enough. He can't shoot well enough and he's too short to be a shooting guard. Doesn't have the playmaking as a point guard. 
And the thing that NBA teams like, now he's already, he's by the time he'd enter, he'd be about 23, 24 years old. So he'd be about the time for a 19 year old rookie getting their second contract. Yeah. 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 That's nowadays the, the best of the best players, they come out when they're 18, 19. So, yeah, I mean, it is, hopefully it is a step in that next direction as we have been wanting. I mean, as you just mentioned earlier about, building the youth and the foundation of a program, a team. So, yeah, I hope that that really does it. But um, I want to get your thoughts on a former Wildcat from a season ago. Nico Mannion was a five-star All-American recruit coming into Arizona. Um, before he came to Arizona, we know he was a, top, he was a lottery draft uh, projected pick. And then a few months ago, he got drafted in the second round, 48th overall to the Golden State Warriors. Um, and he started the year. He didn't play that much. But good news for him, the G League created a little bubble um, for a little season, little playoffs. He played nine games. He averaged 33 minutes, 19 points, 40% from the field, 36 from three, seven rebounds, three – or no, seven assists, three rebounds, and two steals. So this was basically the Nico of old, the Nico from high school. And, and, yeah, he was very fun to watch if you caught any of them. And, uh, and he's continued in the NBA. I mean, he's played four games since he's returned from the bubble. He's played at 31, 21, 12, 19 minutes. I mean, he shot the ball 41% from the field. He shot the ball 47% from three, which is incredible. He's had 10 points, four assists, um, and he's in uh, two games. And the others he's had – uh, the one game he had 9.6 assists, four rebounds. So he's really putting it all together. How do you think he's played? Well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Golden State Warriors fan myself growing up in the Bay Area. So, you know, follow, followed him closely since he got to the team and also when he was on Arizona. Uh, you know, he looked really good in the G League. He looks like that Nico that Arizona got for those first 10 games last season before he hurt his back and before whatever the heck else happened. Uh, I think... I don't really know what his potential is in the league. I think his probably ceiling is a rotational guard, but if he can become a really solid backup point guard, that's a success from the 48th pick in the second overall in the second round too. You know, he's just, he's a tempo point guard who always looks for shooters and looks to give up the ball first rather than score, which I kind of like as a backup point guard because he's getting the team involved and uh, he kind of, he's just getting everything pinging and flowing. If his jump shot is going to stay, consistent like this and he's a much better player than what he was at Arizona even because he couldn't shoot at Arizona but if he's going to stay around that 40 percent I think 47 is going to come down but if he's going to stay around that 40 percent he'll be in the league for about 10 years just because he's a good playmaker who can shoot off the catch and maybe can create a little bit by himself and he's a much better defender than I remember him being as well. He, he can slide his feet up and down the court, and he's feisty too. And it's not be with the Warriors and it's not be about the stats to me it's about I mean, just the way he looks, he looks like he's running the point, like backing up Steph, obviously. And he just looks like he has more control of the offense. And he's finding his shot. He's he's not forcing shots. That was his problem to me at Arizona. He would force the pull-up threes, to pull-up mid-rangers. And now he's just taking shots at ease when they're open, when he's opening the corners, the wings. And um, he's really doing a great job distributing the ball. I mean, any last thoughts on Nico? He, you know, he, it's weird. He actually looks way more athletic and quicker than he ever did at Arizona. And that's not something players just gain. It's one of those things you either have or you don't. And 
he looks more like he belongs on the NBA court this early than I ever expected he did. Yeah, that's another great point, um, too. It just looks like he's rejuvenated and just looks like a different player and similar to the guy that Arizona thought that they were getting. Which makes Um, you wonder. I wonder how bad his – because he tweaked his back and had spasms throughout the year, so – it really makes me wonder how bad that was last year. And, you know, a bad back it just ruins your, your daily life walking, let alone playing in competitive college basketball games. Those are all great points, but unfortunately we have to take a break and hear from our sponsor. Welcome, Daily Wildcat listeners, to the Wildcat Weekly Recap Podcast. This weekly news podcast will highlight and bring you up to date on all University of Arizona news you may have missed in the last week. I'm your host, Maggie Rockwell, Assistant News and Science Editor, and I'll keep you informed and in the know. Listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere you stream. This is a Daily Wildcat news production online all the time at dailywildcat.com. That was a word from our sponsor. If you are interested in working for Daily for the Daily Wildcat and are a student at UA, visit dailywildcat.com slash apply now.
Thank you for listening. This has been Hoops, the Daily Wildcat Basketball Podcast. Thank you to everyone involved in this project, including sports editor Jacob Minuti, assistant sports editor Ari Koslow, managing editor and producer Pascal Albright, the sports desk at the Daily Wildcat, Arizona Student Media, and you, our listeners. For more, contact or visit us online or sign up for our weekly newsletter. The Daily Wildcat online all the time at dailywildcat.com. This has been Hoops, the Daily Wildcat basketball podcast. They said that it can't be done. Whoa, whoa.